0: And I'm having a drink and I smoked some pot. It's this dingy bar. It was like that talking head song. Well, how did you get here? Many days go by and I'm like, God damn, this is ridiculous. What do you want from your life? Is this where you're gonna be in 20 years? Get the hell out of here and let's go figure this out.
1: Hey now, it's cracking. Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode number 223 where today we welcome another legend of his game to the original side hustle a polarizing figure who is still very much on top of that game and his game is poker actually a lot more than just poker but we are going to talk to the icon the poker brat himself because our guest is hall of famer phil helmuth now if you know anything at all about poker you know all about phil and if you don't, just know this. Nobody has ever won more where it matters most in Vegas at the World Series of Poker. Phil has been an absolute ace at that table since he broke through with a main event win all the way back in 1989. He has racked up a record 16 World Series bracelet since then. And along the way, he earned a reputation as the bad boy of poker for his famous outbursts. But is it really fair? Is he really that guy? Listen to this conversation and make up your mind for yourself. I say this all the time. We don't really know any of these people, and you may not know Phil. So let's get right to it. It's episode 223 with poker legend Phil Hellmuth, and it starts right now. So Phil, hard to imagine, but you and I are the same age, We've been at our respective crafts for pretty much the same amount of time, yet we have never spoken before. Sort of crazy to me, but better late than never. Great to have you on this podcast. How are you? How are things?
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. I was trying to think, did I do the Jim Rome show in like 05 or 07? And uh, there was some talk of it. And you're right. Yeah, I mean, I'm a professional poker player at one of the main event in 1989. <laughs> so I'm surprised we ha- I haven't been on your show yet.
1: But here we go. Here we go. It's an amazing thing, really. Now, I will tell you this. That's not to say that I'm not really interested in you. In fact, I find you to be a really interesting guy. But what might be most interesting of all to me is that you're a native of Madison, Wisconsin. I say so because our oldest son is a senior at the University of Wisconsin. And although I'm an L.A. native, we love Wisconsin so much we built a house in Eagle River. So I've got to know, what was it like to grow up in Madtown? You
0: built a place in Eagle River. Okay, that's very cool. So we, my parents, my grandfather was this famous heart surgeon. He won like heart surgeon of the like this global award. And so he built a house in Monaco, Wisconsin, yes. which is pretty close to where you are. Yes, yeah, it is. Eagle River. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I went to the University of Wisconsin. And I grew up in Madison. And I mean, what a great place to grow up. It's beautiful there. You know, your son's there. It's very mellow there too, and uh, you know I I loved it there.
1: All right. So, Phil, for those who do not understand, one of the reasons I suggested that he go there, like my son had it in his head, I'm going to go to NYU. I'm going to go to NYU. I've told the story before, Phil, but I said, listen, the city will always be there. You're going to have your entire life to live and work in a city, find a college town. And by the way, everybody I've ever met that went to Wisconsin, loved Wisconsin. I've never met one single person that didn't think it was the best thing ever. You went for three years, but can you help me explain what it is about that school that makes it so unique and why people love it so much?
0: well i mean i grew up in madison and you know football saturdays are a huge deal there and uh you know if you're a student you're going to have a few drinks uh you know even though the games are relatively early and uh, i mean it's amazing how the place just seems to sell out whether the badgers are good or bad there's a real community surrounding wisconsin athletics and the basketball team and the basketball team made a few final fours and uh, the football teams can ranked in the top 10. So, you know, from an athletic point of view, but it's just so beautiful. You're surrounded by two lakes, Lake Minona and Lake Mendota. And uh, I, it's just like an amazing college atmosphere. Um, and, uh, I mean, what, there's 30, 40,000 students. Um, so there's just tons of activities. My friends played ultimate Frisbee. There's a super, there's a super fun, uh, you know, kind of like intramural system there where people can play games. And if you're interested in in anything, there's a club for it there. And so, you know, and I I don't know, it's just, it's just a, um, it's just such a a beautiful place. And, um, you know, State Street and it's world famous for Halloween. I mean, you know, people from all over the world go to Madison, Wisconsin for Halloween. And uh, it's just, it's just, it, and people just go there for football weekends. And I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to explain the, the kind of atmosphere that surrounds the place. But, but, it, but it's a thing. Exactly
1: right. It is a thing. That's why I asked you because I try to explain it to people outside, and it's kind of hard to explain unless you're within. But I think you did a really good job of it. Now, all of that said, you went to the school for three years before you left to play poker full time. I'm curious, what did your father, who was a dean at the university, think about that decision at that time? Well, it's worse
0: than that. See, we're, let's talk about letters for a second. Please. My dad has an M. <laughs> let's talk about letters. My dad has an MBA, a Ph.D., and a J.D. So I don't know anybody with that many letters. And then I have letters myself, ADD, but now I guess it's A. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> now I guess it's ADHD. So I have my own letters, and um, and those, so I mean, to me, it was really hard. And I, I was just talking about this yesterday, and in my autobiography, I talk about this. I went. I remember going to the library in my junior year, and 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 reading this dry economics book, and I read the first page, and then 20 minutes later, it passed, and I was on the third page. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't retain anything. So I'd start over. And it was really brutal. You know, that was probably ADD at its worst. Now it's a huge advantage to me now in life and probably from the time I was in my 20s. But it did it does hurt your ability to, to do well school wise there. And so my dad, with all those letters, a dean at a university, you know, um, whose grandfather was a heart whose father was a heart surgeon. You know, I mean, and I'm the oldest of five. He was ready to kill me when I dropped out of school to play poker. And we're talking about the 1980s where poker was akin to drug dealing in his eyes. And, uh, you know, when I was 24 years old in 1989, he finally realized, wow, he's doing well at this profession. And my dad went to the world championships uh, that year. Um, I told him I was going to win it. And then I did win it. And I was against. Uh, another legend, Johnny Chan, had won it in 87 and 88, and now we faced off heads up in 89. It was a pretty cool moment to have my dad there, and it was 750 thousand. Imagine what that is today. That's like 10 million for first, and uh, kind of like my dad never bothered me again. And then I married uh, an MD, so you know, so so he's okay on the education front. He's okay on the success front. And uh, it's, been, it's been a really nice, great ride
1: for me in poker. Hey, listen, there have been some serious letters that are flying around there, right? PhD, M- <laughs> letters. MBA, you have any letters, MD, Jim? no, I've got uh, BS, <laughs> BA, you got BS, right. you know, definitely BS. Oh, yeah. I love that sound so much. That sound really does make me smile because it is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start running and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. And I love how Shopify has the tools and the resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. What I'm saying is Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com/rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and find out for yourself. Get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com/rome right now. Shopify.com/rome. But, Phil, I mean, like, <laughs> you skipped ahead of the World Championship when you beat Johnny Chan and you were 24. However, however, when you first left, I'm curious, like, what was your bankroll? How much money had you saved? And what was that first year away from home like?
0: Well, I mean, so I did it and I did it in trips. And, and I'm really proud of my autobiography. Poker Brat talks about this. And people that read Poker Brat, all of a sudden, they like me. So let's be clear, you know, my nickname is Poker Brat. And a lot of people uh, in the world didn't like me. And I didn't like that. And I said, why do they have to make me into the bad boy? Because I'm a little mouthy at the table, but I'm the guy that's never cheated on his wife. I'm the guy that's not a drug guy, a drug addict. I'm the guy that's not an alcoholic. I'm the guy that's a family man. Why do you have to be the bad boy of poker? Just because I bark at the table a lot, you know, and, and I guess that's memorable. And, uh, you know, So when I went to Las Vegas the first 12 times, I was playing in really good games. And it works like this, Jim. Imagine every hometown has poker games. And then if you're good in the hometown games, you find games in your state. So there were games in Madison. There were games in lacrosse. Then the bigger game was in Minneapolis, which was a four hour drive. And so I was playing in the Milwaukee, there were games. I was playing in those games and I just started crushing everybody. And pretty soon I had $25,000 in the bank And then I and I was just turned 21. And then I started going to Vegas and I started losing every trip, because as much as there's an ecosystem for poker in the cities and states, Vegas is the top of the mountain. And so if you imagine a mountain in front of you, a pyramid, all the money goes up. Starts at the smaller limits, goes to the medium limits, goes to the higher limits, goes to the high limits. All the money flows up I realized right away if I wanted to be if I wanted to be successful in poker I'd have to be at the top of the pyramid where all the money came and and so you know so for me I started with no money and I made 12 trips to Vegas where I just lost every trip and um, and then all of a sudden on like the 13th trip I won and uh and i've been winning ever since
1: see now, feel like you figured out the process but was there not a period of time though when you had to come home when you had to kind of rebuild yourself and your bankroll and then go to work and then hit the farm was there never that point in your life
0: oh yeah 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 well um i went broke when i was in the feeder games in madison so i was playing the feeder games and i mean i was a student i was a, a like a senior, like a junior. I guess I never officially became a senior, but I was like a junior in college, and I had a five hundred dollar bankroll, and I lost it, and I ended up working for Blaine Farms for a few months. And I remember getting up, and getting on. You know, I'd I'd ride with some of the guys in the neighborhood, and then we we'd take we'd go to this uh to this to the school bus at seven a.m. And they'd have us work for, you know, four hours or eight hours, depending on the day. And then the school bus would drop us off and we'd get rides back to our place. And then for me, I did that for about a month and a half, I guess. Um, I don't think two months. And I started, you know, I started realizing the value of a dollar. And I'm like, well, and I started getting back into poker uh, once I could pay off the hundred dollars I owed. And and then uh, and then all of a sudden the game became easier for me. Things made sense and I started winning right away. So probably by the time I was 21 and, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't like, I, I've been very lucky not to have been broke uh, much in my life, but it doesn't mean there's times you're sure and you're struggling. I mean, I had a $200,000 penthouse condominium in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, you know, and my wife was in medical school and we had a son at the time. And uh, so I'm living in this amazing place. I have a Porsche and a Cadillac and I paid all my taxes. But I just remember my bank account was like $3,000 for a long time. So it was kind of incongruous to my net worth, you know, because I could go out and probably borrow a lot of money on that condo. It was, so, yeah, everything was paid for. So when it came to going broke, I did a very good job of managing my money from day one. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's never straight up in poker.
1: Let's talk investing for a minute and how confusing things can get when people start throwing around terms like altcoin, shilling, meme stocks, and the like. With all that jargon flying around, it can be hard to figure out how to start investing. So whether you're eager to get started with investing or you already know the ropes and you want to diversify your portfolio, SoFi has your back. Let me tell you what I like about SoFi. No commissions on trading stocks and ETFs. No account fees or hidden fees either. You can use fractional shares that start as low as $5 to buy brand name stocks, even if you don't have a couple of grand lying around. And complimentary financial planners are ready to help you out with any questions, whether you're stuck on where to start or you need help deciding on what to do next. So what you should do is get hands on with active investing or let's SoFi's number one ranked automated investing tool take the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio by doing it for you and then on top of that you can explore the world of cryptocurrency right alongside the rest of your investments 30 available coins include bitcoin ethereum dogecoin and more so cut through the jargon and make investing easier with sofi visit sofi.com rome and learn how you can win up to one thousand dollars in stock when you open up an account that's S-O-F-I dot com slash Rome. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities LLC, member SIPC. All investments involve risk, including the loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results or future performance. When, like, you paid off that debt, that small debt, but you said then, then the game got easier. Then I got much better at it. Was it... I mean, did your fortune change, or did you have a different perspective and a different outlook, and did you approach it differently? Like, why did you get better as a result of that one and a half or two months on the farm?
0: That's a great question, and I I like to explain it this way. It also also delves into why I'm a poker brat, why I'm emotional, too emotional at the table. So I, I told you earlier that I'm the oldest of five, and I was the only kid, because of the ADD, or whatever, who just didn't get grades that cut it for my dad. Right. And so, and so, and, and all my brothers and sisters played instruments, they were all good at sports. So four younger brothers and sisters killing it at sports, killing it in instruments, killing it in grades. And so, you know, uh, this was a real self-esteem issue for me because my father poured a lot of, you know, uh, poured a lot of self-esteem, poured a lot of importance onto getting good grades. And I wasn't doing that. And I wasn't great in sports. I, I didn't grow till I was in freshman year in high school. And I wasn't, I didn't play any instruments. And so I felt worthless by so many measures. And at least at that point in my life, I kept away from becoming, you know, drinking heavily and and, and drugs and and kind of going a different path. I at least kind of stayed in there, uh, which I give myself some credit for. But that kind of... Uh, that kind of, but it also then made me not lose at any games. I had a competitive advantage. So if I couldn't get to good grades, if I couldn't be good at sports, if I couldn't play instruments, I could crush my brothers and sisters at every game we played. Hearts, spades, uh, backgammon, Monopoly, any game we played, I became a master. And so from an early age, I was looking, seeking out strategies, seeking out strategies. And so when poker fell into my life, you know, um, that's what I'd been used to is that's what I was great at in my family. And when I did lose, imagine when I'd finally lose to one of my brothers, younger brothers and sisters, I'd have a tantrum. And, you know, and and maybe it wasn't pretty. And a lot of people said that they wish those tantrums were taped. They would watch them. But I would just kind of go off. Oh my god, you rolled double sixes and double fives to beat me. And I'd kind of just be scheming just like I am in the poker world. And so that lack of self-esteem and losing at games. Carried over for many years, even to this day, I just I'm, I'm probably a really bad loser. And so, you know, and so I think that's what was going on is this ability to learn games. And so, uh, immediately in poker, I immediately won a bunch of money. Then I paid my so it went like this I, I won a bunch of money and then I paid my tuition for the semester. And then, uh, and then I had to drop out anyway because I owed someone. I believe it was $100, and they took my driver's license. So I went to work uh, for, for Blaine Farms, and then when I paid the guy the $100 back, I'd been at that time thinking a lot about poker. And uh, and I started playing again, and I started crushing it. And, and, and maybe I, again, maybe I worked at, at Blaine Farms for six weeks. I'd be thinking, all right, I'm making whatever, $5 an hour. But I'd say, hey, guys, I, I won $120 last night. I'm not sure they believed me. 120 doesn't seem, seems like a paltry amount today. And I'd be like, oh, I want 190. And so I started then building my bankroll, you know, um, and then found the bigger feeder games in the city and then found the feeder games in the state. And, uh, you know, all those trips to Vegas where I lost, you know, led me to other people from Wisconsin that played. And it just turned out that I had a better strategy than they did. And I kept refining it, refining it, refining it. And, uh, you know, I I can tell you, I can tell you um, uh, the moment that I decided, you know, that I was going to be great at poker. I can get to
1: that story if you want to in a minute. Tell me. Got to have that right now. How, How and when did you know?
0: Yeah. So after all that, after sizing up the players in Vegas, a lot of those trips, I was losing money playing casino games. But I was like, oh, my God, these guys are not better than I am. You know, and I could see it. And some people are delusional, but I I could see, wow, I'm going to be great at this game. And so I remember one specific day where I was, you know, uh, where I was at my apartment in in Madison. And by now I had a nice apartment. And and so I I drove to this poker game and it was super boring because I had $20,000 in the bank. And I'm trying to win $200 and right away I'm bored. I was restless. And my friends and I are like, hey, let's, I'm like, hey, I convinced some of the guys to go to the, to the bar or whatever. The golf course was closed and there was a a snow on the ground, but it was more like an ice that was on the ground. You're from LA, you have no idea what that is, but there was an ice on the ground. And, um, and so I go to this local bar and we're playing pool for $20 a game and I'm having a drink and I smoked some pot. And and all of a sudden, it's this dingy bar, and I'm like, it was like that talking head song. Well, how did you get here? Many days go by, and I'm like, God damn, this is like this is ridiculous. What do you want from your life? Is this where you're going to be in 20 years? And I'm like, get the hell out of here, and let's and let's go figure this out. And so, I remember pulling the door open to leave. And I had my car with me, but I was smart enough to call a taxi. And I remember opening the door and the sun and it had been it had been kind of like there'd been no sun all day. And the sun just boom, it hits all the ice from the street. And it's in my eyes. It was like this a moment, kind of a metaphor for what happened next. Where boom, the lights on. Then I went back to my house and I started writing madly. I wrote the pyramid of success that I described earlier. I wrote that down. I said, if you're going to do this, you're going to become the best in the world at this. And I started writing all these strategies. I wrote long-term life goals. Um, You know, uh, I wrote short-term life goals. A lot of the stuff, I have a book, Positivity, which Tony Robbins tells people to buy my book, Positivity. It's eight life tips. And so I'm so honored that as a professional poker player, some Tony Robbins... Would tell people to buy my book. It's just eight life tips. But a lot of those life tips came from that day. And I'm like, that's it. No more bullshit. And uh, you know, and, and there was another thing that I wrote down: this pyramid of success that I also talk about in positivity in my book and my autobiography. You can't do this anymore. All right, we're not going to be playing high stakes blackjack or craps or any of the Vegas games. You know, we're not going to. We, we're not a drug. I'm not a drug guy anyway. We're not going to do that anymore. Uh, You know, I'm not going to become an alcoholic. And I have to start exercising and I have to start eating good food. So kind of just it all came together in a chart. And and imagine a pyramid where I talk about the stuff I shouldn't do on the bottom and the stuff I should do at the top. And the very top is money management. Because no matter how much skill you have in poker, if you manage your money well, you'll have a nice life. And if you don't, you know, so I'd rather like life perspective I'd rather be a guy that has 90% money management and 70% poker skill. Luckily for me, um, I have, you know, the, the hundred percent poker skill and my management's been pretty good, but anyway, so wrote all that down. It's just this crazy day. You know, I kind of, I call it, I call it the light went on in my book and it really did go on for me. And then it was about a year and a half later that I won the main event, which was a lifetime goal by then. And my father flew out to watch me win it. And he never bothered me again. And so everything kind of came together. And then all of a sudden I had all this money. And, and, and like I said previously, I had the, the Porsche the Cadillac and the condo. And then I somehow got myself short. But, but that was okay. You know, I mean, a lot of people would have had to sell the condo, sell their cars. And I just kind of hung in there tough. And I played the small stakes games to grind through. I drove to Escanaba, Michigan which is further than Monaco and further than your place in Eagle river. It's a three and a half hour drive. And I played there, you know, three days in a row every weekend to, to win my two or $3,000. And I put in the time and the effort to make this work. And, uh, and then, you know, and now I, and now, you know, so, I mean, that was, that's kind of the light goes on moment for me.
1: So quick question. Why is old Trapper beef jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by Quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Ultra Trapper, It is simply the best. Four mouthwatering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them, so you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way, there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Phil, are you sure that that night that you were in that bar shooting pool for 20 bucks a game and then you came out and the light was reflecting off the ice that... You maybe didn't drop acid as opposed to smoking a blunt or something. I mean that's incredible. Never mind this incremental improvement on a daily basis. Like you flipped your entire life on its head and developed a life philosophy like in one day. It's amazing to me. I wanna ask you about this though. Going back to this whole thing about you being the poker brat, I'm gonna I think there's something really analogous actually to my career and my situation. Like, you got early on, like, he's the poker brat. He's the American poker brat. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm not a bad guy. In fact, I'm a pretty fucking good guy. I'm not the guy doing all this shit. I'm a good guy. Yeah, I might get a little emotional. Maybe I didn't take that bad beat so well. But why am I designated the brat? It's kind of like when everett and i had our incident all of a sudden i was that guy and people were saying yeah but that's good that's good i'm like no 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 that was a bad thing for me and i had a bad day at work and i own it and that was my fault but i do not want to be known for that i want to be known for somebody who's a good guy who works very hard who cares about their craft was there any part of you that felt that way that i'm not the brat i'm doing this the right way i'm actually a good guy and y'all got it all backwards
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very analogous, your situation and my situation, you know, I I think that, yeah, you can be a little bit emotional, a little, uh, in the past, especially you get a little bit emotional, a little bit mouthy, argue with somebody and people would be like, well, I don't know if that, about that guy, similar with me, uh, except, except I'm worse in, in in a lot of ways where, because like I'm losing and I'm telling, you know, I'm telling an amateur, oh my God, how could you do that? So, I mean, The genesis of this is for me is like, hey, listen, I played poker three days to make this final table. They didn't show the first two days. All they're showing is the final table. And I'm trying to make history. I'm trying to become the greatest poker player of all time. Now I have 16 world championships. The next three great players have 10. I'm way in the lead. And so and so, you know, now I'm there. Right. And so now it's a matter of holding it. Right. And I just had, you know, six months ago, I had one of the best maybe the best World Series in the history of the game. So I'm still at the top today. And so that's kind of nice because I see people that, you know, I'm 57. I see people that get to the top and then they're just legends. Well, that's great, but I want to be the number one guy in the world today. And I just showed everybody over the last eight months, I'm still there. Um, Oh, shit, that's too much bragging. So let's cut back to your point. I knew right away when they turned me into the bad boy of poker, Um, I said, all right, that's going to last for two or three years. So imagine that happened in 02, 03, 04. I said, by the time 05 comes or 06 comes, everyone's going to know I'm the good guy of poker. Never cheated on his wife. You know, uh, and and so eventually what happened is uh, the public thought I was an asshole. And then all of a sudden, but everyone in the poker world defended me. So, Jim, I'd I'd have all the other champions coming up to me and saying, Fuck you, Phil, you know, and, and laughing every time I tell people I'm a poker player, they ask about you. And I heard this from every player and everyone defended me and said, Phil's a really nice guy. He's a great guy, in fact. And so I had the whole poker world telling everybody I'm a great guy. But the people that watch me blow up still think I'm an asshole. And that's the majority of the world. And so, you know, in my case, I hope that people have finally come around and realized that I'm a good guy. And I know, you know, for you uh, personally, in your situation, I think as time passes and people kind of unfold the personality, kind of unfurl who we are, then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a... And, you know, the advantage, Jim, is this. All the people, all the haters I had are now like, oh, my God, I love Phil. So they convert eventually, right? All the guys that hated me and had strong negative emotions seem to love me. And so I have a lot of uh,
1: rabid fans Oh, no, I get it. Because what happens is, all of a sudden, we're not the angry young guys on the way up. We become like the OGs. You know, they find out. And plus, people who know, know. Let me ask you this. Well, you said something recently, or you just said something, Phil, I should say. It's really interesting. You said, I'm coming off this run where, like, I'm not only the GOAT, but I'm still the best at doing what I do right now. And today, someone asks him, because I'm 57 as well, and I'm doing a lot of kind of a— self-exploring and I'm trying to look within I want to make sure that I'm still sharp and I'm still relevant and I'm still competitive and people still care what I have to say and I don't age out I don't want to become a dinosaur I don't want somebody to run me down from behind like that shit matters to me a lot and I can tell it matters to you as well but in what I do I'm trying to reinvent and transform myself do you have any of that, or do you feel like my system and my process are timeless? I don't need to fix what ain't broke. I don't need to innovate this part of my portfolio. In other words, how do you approach mm-hmm. that part of it?
0: Well, first of all, see, first of all, you're doing a great interview today, and, and I don't just say that because I get interviewed, you know, 100 times a year, 200 times a year. I'm on the cover of Cigar Fictionado, by the way. Woohoo! You're doing a great job here. Yeah, I can see the insightfulness and the question's great, too. And it's interesting to me. I'm going to cut away to something which. So I I remember a few months ago where I thought, well, Al Michaels is killing it still. This guy's in his 80s. He's killing it. And then, you know, my my friends, uh, Joe Lacob uh, owns the Warriors and he's given me floor seats whenever I've asked for 12 years. And so i sit with him but i always bring somebody interesting with me i'll bring you know uh celebrities athletes you know and uh and so i'm sitting there and there's Al michaels and i'm like oh my god and in person you know he looks uh, he looks older he looks like maybe you know he might be 80 or whatever and i just thought to myself it really doesn't matter you know you look into hubie brown hubie brown is 85. He's still killing it on the on the broadcast. I love listening to his knowledge and the way he breaks things down. Yeah, and so and so I think maybe and then one more for you is uh, is Doyle Brunson, you know, who's now eighty five and continued to win every single month of his life up until his eighties, win money at poker. So I think that you and I are lucky in our professions that we continue to kill it until our eighties. And there's examples for you and I that say we can keep going and going and crushing and crushing. I remember Doyle just being a huge force still in his 70s and playing in the biggest games in the world all the way until his 80s. And then one other thing to come back to the innovate part, you do have to pay attention to what's coming up. So I'm sure in my case, I'm watching what the younger champions are doing. And in your case, you're watching what the compelling broadcasters are doing You probably look at Bill Burr a little bit, although he's a little bit outside of your scope or whoever. There's some really, I don't know, who would would you look at now? One of the young guys who you'd be like, hey, I kind of like
1: his style. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you are a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cash back match. Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. You know... For what we do, like Pat McAfee is like a really good guy and a former athlete, but you know what it is also? It's not so much the guys and what they're doing, Phil. It's now the platforms. It's now the platforms because it used to be like so brick and mortar where I would come in, i do my radio program, then i do a TV show for ESPN or for Fox, but there are so many different social media platforms and ways that people access their information and their content and their media. So I personally need to do a better job of pushing out content content and finding ways to get it to people and especially younger people who have a much shorter attention Mm -hmm. span you know so it's more than just the compelling personalities but rather how they get their information and how we push it out and how we disseminate it
0: for you for you i look at my friend david Sachs, who does who's the all in podcast and these these guys are killing it now they had an all-in summit and i look at my friend draymond green who you know, who, uh, I, I, he's filmed on my TV shows and we've gone to Cabo and hung out together and Dray, Draymond's a good friend of mine. He's killing it and I, I like the way he's putting clips up. David Sacks, the same thing. They're putting these one minute clips up on their Twitter with very interesting stuff.
1: That's it. But anyway,
0: just, just the thought that I had and at some point, I have to sell something. So can we talk about equity.com just for a quick yes, second?
1: Yes, we certainly can. I was going to get to that. And I love that you and Draymond are tight and that you're so good with the, with, with the Warriors. Now, the thing is, for all the success you Draymond have— Draymond
0: is the best poker player in the NBA, right? For real. Well, Westbrook's really good, too. But uh, but Draymond, I've worked with, uh, uh, you know, through the pandemic. we played We played, you know, six times a week and uh, and i was always texting him you can do this better that better and so Draymond i've coached up to be but he's also a brilliant strategist and you see it on the basketball court and uh, you know that guy Draymond Green is going to be a billionaire for sure he's already doing and he's hanging out with my super group of guys in Palo Alto a, a bunch of billionaires and uh, and these guys all have vc firms and Draymond is but he but the nice thing he's 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 going to be able to write his ticket because he can work. He could obviously work like it inside the NBA. Uh, he's doing his own podcast now, but I'm really impressed with Day Day.
1: No, I'm not in any way surprised to hear you say that he's the best poker player in the NBA because he's playing poker on the floor. You can see the way his mind works. and Floor general. I mean he 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 is so quick in the way he processes everything. You can see it. All right, so as I was going to say, you are involved in so many different companies either as an owner and or investor Equi.com, right? What is that? Yeah, that's Equi. that's e q u
0: i.com. It's amazing that it's amazing to me that it's amazing to me that uh, I'm on 15 advisory boards because I think if you can be good at poker I theorized this for a long time. If you can be great at poker, you should be able to be great at life, and you should be able to be great at business. So I'm on 15 advisory boards. We did three we did three spacs last year where we took three companies public, and it's just been a lot of fun for me to be involved in all of these deals. Um, I'm even starting my own VC fund right now, and so that's been a lot of fun. But Equi's is one that we're spotlighting today. It's been fun because um, because these guys managed to to, to basically their fund, their growth fund, their growth funded Equi is now rated 99th percentile, 99 out of 100. And because somehow they didn't lose money since November. It's amazing what they've done. It's also, if you're gonna to go to equi.com, I think the minimum you have to invest is hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it's set up for some high net worth people to have access to deals they couldn't otherwise get. And so these are three super sharp kids and they're just killing it They're 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 getting so they're going to have you can invest in real estate funds there. All the stuff you can't get to if you're worth five or 10 million, you can invest in there. And it's a nice platform so you can, you know, check your. But you can't do it on the iPhone. I think it's only on it's only on a, a computer. And uh, it's it's been it's been a pleasure to be a part of it and watch these guys crush. And they're raising at one hundred and fifty million dollars already because. They're, they're managing so much money and they're just crushing it. And I think when you become a one percentile, the top one percentile fund that spreads itself, especially now, because I don't know about you, Jim, but I've lost, you know, 50 percent of my money that I've invested myself in the stock market, you know, millions of dollars. And so, you know, uh, my money with them is doing well, though. And, uh, you know, but it makes me it really points me and probably points you towards I need professionals to manage all of it. And equi is a great place to do that.
1: <laughs> why, why would we think that we can do that when that's not what we do? That's not where we live. And we're going up against the very best who do it. So I, I agree with you. It's equi, right? E-Q-U-I.com, Phil. Equi.com. Did you get killed in the market too? Of course. Absolutely. 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 I, 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 do even I thought I, I was pretty smart. Yeah, I, I did too when I bought my first Bitcoin. Where do you come out on crypto?
0: Yeah, I like, I like crypto, you know, I, I'm, I'm involved with the Bitcoin latinum, which is relaunching right now. So, uh, so we'll see. I'm hoping that, that 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 project ends up being good. I, I like the way they think uh, Bitcoin latinum, they want to, they, they want to have they want they want you to be able to, to buy Bitcoin latinum and, and use it to buy a Starbucks, where the transaction fees one penny, not $10. They wanted they want speed of transactions. Sometimes if you buy or sell Bitcoin, it takes 24 or 36 hours so they want it to go quickly and they're also a green coin so when they relaunch uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens
1: no one close to you should have to endure the dreaded knock on the door the knock that comes from a police officer who must tell your loved ones that you were killed in a car crash it's a message that gets even worse when they learn that your death may have been prevented if you had only been wearing a seatbelt. The simple fact is, regardless of what type of vehicle you ride in, seatbelt use is the single most effective way to stay alive in a crash. That's why the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is spreading the word. We want to raise the profile of seatbelt safety so we can save lives. So whether you're going on a cross-country trip or just right up the street, please buckle up. Don't risk it. And remember, click it or tick it. Brought to you by NHTSA. All right. So, Phil, one last thought. I want to ask you about this. You mentioned being on the cover of Cigar Aficionado. That's got to be a thrill. And speaking of family. You it's t- just
0: coming out right now, Jim.
1: Okay. Well, there you go. I was in it once. I was not on the cover, but I was in it, and I thought it was an absolute thrill. I love it. So I know what you're talking about, and you got the cover. Now, you took your two sons out to Nobu to celebrate your high-stakes dual win and the fact that you made the cover, and you said the three of you sat around a fire pit, you had drinks, you smoked cigars, you had deep conversations till about 2 o'clock in the morning. As a father, I know this, it does not get much better than that. I've always said, Phil, I can't You're wait right. for my boys, for them to be old enough for us to have a pop or two with the old man. How much fun, leave me with that thought, how much fun was that for you the other night, and how much did that mean to you?
0: Uh, it was everything. And, and I've already, I've already talked about it in two tweets. You know, my boys are 31 and 28. And one of them dropped out of college with, you know, a semester to go and said, hey, I'm going to go work in a movie theater. And, but he's smarter than I am EQ and IQ wise. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll support that. And never, never batted an eye. And, uh, and, you know, his, like his goal is to become radically authentic, which I think is amazing. He's so smart. And the other one, uh, the older one, uh, uh, Philip, and the younger one is Nick, is uh, is working for a bank right now and is managing a ton of branches. And he's more traditionally, he just bought a house in Palo Alto, and I, I'm just so proud of both of my boys, and I just I, I have so much love for them, and uh, and for you know, and so my for my two sons and my wife wasn't feeling great. So it was guys night and they both had girlfriends for six and a half years. And so for me to, to have Nobu with them and to be able to spend a lot of money on some really good food for them. And then to go back to our house and we had happy Van Winkle, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and, smoke the best cigars. And to just talk about our lives and our relationships, you know, with my wife and, and their relationships with their girlfriends and, uh, you know it's just incredible and you just leave i just i'm so happy because they both live a mile away and you know and, and a lot of fathers and sons don't make it and so it's just amazing to me and you, you yeah and it, it's just so meaningful to me i mean uh, um, but yeah, it's a, thank you for spotlighting that. How old are your kids? No,
1: I get that. So my son at Wisconsin is twenty-one, and our younger son, that's Jake. Our younger son, Logan, is seventeen, so he's a junior in high school. And I can remember, you know, like for years and years, my routine. The
0: seventeen still hates you right now. Seventeen-year-old hates you, and the twenty-one-year-old
1: just is- he doesn't hate me. I think that he hates that I, I kind of grind and I'm and I'm on him. But no, that he doesn't hate me. I I hate that he's kind of he's kind of a shortcut kid. You know what I mean? Like, he's very smart, very talented. But if there's a hack or a shortcut or it involves work like closing your drawers and picking your clothes up and turning your lights off and, I don't know, being responsible, he hates that I hate that. But you know how it, is. it uh But the one no, thing... Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they
0: don't actually hate you, but it's amazing how much they, at least for my sons, it's amazing how much they didn't want to have anything to do with me you know, when they were in high school. And then, but then I can't, and they were both. They were both into my wife more than me until they were about twenty three, so I had to wait two years. That's
1: interesting. Like, you know, yeah, because my my younger son was all about mom, 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 and everybody would say to me, "It's going to flip, it's going to flip." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think so, man. It's not, it hasn't yet." And then and then it's fifty, and then the younger one I used to play this game with, "Mama or Dada, Mama or Dada," and he he knew even at an early age how how to be political. He'd say, "Mama and Dada," like he figured that shit out at four, <laughs> you know. But the one thing I will say, I don't know about your routine. Phil, but my routine always was work as hard as I possibly could Sunday to Thursday, grind out never drink during the week but by Friday night I was going to get mine and I wasn't going to even fuck around with it like I straight up Bombay Sapphire straight up, straight up I didn't mix it I wanted to get to where I wanted to get fast and the kids grew up watching that and they knew dad was I was one of those guys that I was more fun and more laid back and you know more relaxed after I had one or two of those. And I can remember thinking to myself, man, I cannot wait for these kids to get old enough where we can all share this together. So that's why I had to ask you about that, because you get to share that together. Oh, yeah. And if you can do it around a fire pit, even better. And if you get quality conversation with the best food and the best drink, how do you beat that? You can't.
0: You can't beat that. And I remember looking and it was like 2.06 a.m. And they were still happy, and I'm like, well, probably, probably the oldest needs to get some sleep by now. It was just great, yeah. I mean, it's just it, it, that—that's what you hope for, right? You hope for a great relationship with your children, and uh, and yeah, and and. And so, I mean, they're still the mom, but at least I had them for a few years there. So, you know, and now it's more equal as they got, if they gotten older. So. I
1: get it; it evens out. Feel like I said, I, how you and I got this far down in our respective lives and careers without doing this, I have no idea. But I'm so glad that we finally got around to it. Let's not wait another 30 years to do it. It was so good to have this conversation, and I really appreciate you making all this time. And good luck with everything, including the new company you're working with, Equi.com.
0: Jim, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It's a great interview, so I appreciate it. It was nice. It was nice, and I really appreciate the fact that you went to the family first theme at the end. Thank you.
1: So let's be real. Part of me wants to say that conversation blew me away, but the fact is it really didn't. I'm not shocked to find out that poker's bad boy is actually extremely fascinating and very likable. Not surprised at all. I'm not saying that his blow-ups are an act. They're not. They're real. But most of all, he's real. And you gotta love his story. Grinding it out in Madtown, the light turns on, dude flies up the poker ladder, and he's still on top, even today, three decades later. Honestly, this guy could have spent a half hour at a table somewhere raking in chips from some starstruck fish, but instead, this shark made some time and he showed up huge for the original side hustle. So thanks again to Phil for an incredible chat. I loved it. Every second of it. Conversations like that are exactly why this podcast exists in the first place. So if you enjoyed this one, just know there are over 220 just like it already in the bank. It's premium, it's unfiltered, and most importantly, it is free, free content, and we're pumping it out every single week. So, if you take a second right now to subscribe, that'd be great. That way, you never have to worry about tracking down another app. They will find you instead. So, if you would, hit us with a sub, and while you do that, I will hit you with your voicemails. First new message. No, you didn't rock me. No, you didn't. Oh which I gotta admit is especially with hindsight being fifty fifty and all. Totally get it, totally understand. But you know, I'll keep trying to own my craft or whatnot down here in the minor leagues. So uh yeah, just going to uh keep uh trying harder, you know, you know, you know. You know, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome Rome. Hey, what up? your boy, Matt in L.A. Man, the guy in Reno, that goofy fuck that called with that parody of Don't You Want Me, Baby. Dude, that was terrible. I mean, seriously, Buffalo Bill from freaking Silence of the Lambs thinks you need to get a hold of yourself, bro. That was cringe worthy times a thousand. Feel free to never call the jungle again, you puke, because that didn't make it better one fucking bit. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne, man. What's up with that dipshit David in Buffalo? I mean, four sports takes on the pod? How many times is this dipshit call with sports takes, Dave? It's the podcast, man. Have some range, will you? How about a little show fodder? How about some bum smack? Save that bull crap for your local sports radio. That's not what the jungle wants. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I'm calling in about Otis and Austin, uh, trying to get back in the smack off. Otis, nobody understands your calls. Nobody understood them back in the day. But now if you're just going to come in and be like, you know, just say wore
0: this and wore that, Otis, it's the smack off, dude. This is not a local show where you call up and say, hey, I met Vince Young down at the strip club, and, man, we talked about how he used to run the football.
1: I mean, Otis, this is a national sports talk show. You're going up against heavyweights like the Cablin Asian, IF Brady, JT the Brick, Brad and Corona. I mean, you're standing in the middle of the ring with the best in the world, bro. I mean, Otis, you are going up against the premier callers in the industry, bro. Guys that are legends, guys that are made men. Otis, you can't come in and do that, bro. If you're going to come back, dude, you better reinvent yourself because you know what? Jeff
0: and Richmond think your act is stale.
1: Message deleted. Next message.
0: Jimmy, what's up? It's Dr. Dave. Kind of weird getting a... uh, getting home from work. Just picked up uh, hearing Jimmy. Uh, fuck it, hey. Eh? Oh, well. I'm typical Dr. Dave right here with my
1: shitty-ass message. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I need to go get some tequila and just go drink myself to sleep tonight. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Rob from Reno. Thanks for the at-bat on Friday. You know, even though I swung and missed, it was awesome to be at the big show Even if I was nervous as a rabbit in an open field full of predators, I appreciated the opportunity. But now I go back to the miners for a second, where dreams are reality, and reality are dreams. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Message deleted. You have
0: no more messages.